Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. At the beginning of The Fiddler on the Roof, you get to meet Tevi, the milkman of a Jewish community, and he's explaining many things about Jewish culture. He says this as an intro to the song, Tradition. So Tevi says, Because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything, how to eat, how to sleep, even how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition start? I'll tell you, I don't know. But it's a tradition. Because of our traditions, everyone knows who he is and what God expects him to do. So that's from The Fiddler on the Roof. It's a great play and movie. The guy playing Tevi in the movie is just fantastic. Anyway, the Jewish people to this day, are a people of tradition. And there's nothing wrong with tradition, but what is most important is that we follow God's word. When tradition differs from the word of God, that is when it becomes a problem. The Jews and the Roman Catholic Church are both steeped in tradition, some good and some which take away from the true worship of God. Now, what did Jesus say about following tradition? To defend their belief, Protestants like me will typically go to a certain passage in the Gospel of Matthew, Catholics will look to Jesus' words just eight chapters later as justification, no pun intended, for their belief that scripture and tradition have equal authority. That's it. That's I've already beat this sola scriptura, sola ecclesia slash church tradition thing to a pulp. So not much of an intro needed today. We're going to dive in and look at what Jesus says about tradition. Now you can connect with me, bearchristianity at gmail.com, or you can message me on Instagram at the real bear martin. And this episode of Bear Christianity is sponsored by Chick-fil-A Church. How many times has it happened? You are just craving that Chick-fil-A sandwich and sauce with those warm and crispy waffle fries, and then you remember it's Sunday. Chick-fil-A is closed. While I can appreciate Chick-fil-A honoring the Lord's Day, what if there was a way to have Chick-fil-A on the Lord's Day? Now that's possible with the Chick-fil-A Church. Chick-fil-A Church is an app that allows you to take a picture of your church bulletin or sermon notes for that day. Once registered on the app and it has been confirmed you attended church that Sunday, you are eligible to order from Chick-fil-A. Now all orders are delivered so it still looks like Chick-fil-A is closed. The Israelites ate manna in the wilderness seven days a week. We should be able to get that Christian chicken every day as well. Bear Christianity listeners receive a free Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookie when they use the coupon code MYPLEASURE. Chick-fil-A Church, it's a need, not a want. Offer not valid for some denominations. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. The most common place for Protestants to go when arguing against the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church is Matthew 15, 1 through 9. You'll know why once I read it. Now, as a side note, there is a parallel account of this in Mark chapter 7, but I chose Matthew's version just because the next passage I'm discussing is in Matthew as well. So here it is, Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. 
Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here we have a clear statement from Jesus condemning the scribes and Pharisees for what? teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They were teaching the people these traditions, which they they said were divine, that they were from God. Now, notice, uh, first, a, a few things about this passage. This this uh, accusation from the scribes and Pharisees about the disciples not washing their hands, this is not like a personal hygiene type thing. This washing is a ceremonial washing. It's a cleansing ritual instituted by the Jewish leaders as a tradition. Uh, That's what the disciples were not doing. They were not keeping all these traditions. So Jesus answers uh, their, their accusation. He answers, as he often does, he answers a question with a question. So they say, why are your disciples breaking the tradition of the elders? And Jesus says, why are you breaking the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So throughout the passage, there is a contrast between the commandment of God versus the tradition of men. So they are not the same in Jesus' mind. These traditions are not equal with the command of God, which is found in Scripture. Now, how were the Pharisees breaking the commandment of God? According to tradition, a son could declare something was given to God, and therefore it could not be used to care for his parents. It was the commandment of God to honor one's father and mother, and this extended to caring for them in their old age or when they were unable to care for themselves because of sickness or disease. And so an easy way to refer to this tradition of something being given to God instead of being used to take care of one's parents is the word Corban. In Mark chapter 7, which is the parallel account, it gives us a little more information on this. Corban comes from the Hebrew word meaning gift, and in this context, it refers to something given or dedicated to God. Now, here's how this would work. A man's parents were in need, and everybody knew it. So remember, most of these people lived in small communities, and everybody knew everybody's business. So a man has parents in need, and maybe some of the leaders in the community confront the the man's Uh, the man who's neglecting his parents, and they say, hey, you should be providing for your parents. So they may say, you've got a lot of land there, and you could sell that land and give the money to support your parents. Now, to this, the neglectful son could say, well, that land is korban. It is given to God. It is dedicated to God. So this meant that 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 land was dedicated to God. Therefore, he could not sell it for the purposes of giving money to his parents. The, that land is, is dedicated to God. Now, this was not the intention, most likely. I can't imagine that it would be. This was not the intention of this tradition, but evidently this Korban tradition had become a reason that many Jews were breaking the fifth commandment to honor their father and mother. So this tradition, as it gets passed down, is people are encouraged to dedicate their, their belongings to God, and in the process, they are neglecting the providing the needs for their parents. That's what Jesus is accusing these scribes and Pharisees of doing. He's saying, you are teaching the people this tradition of Korban. 
korban, and in, in the process, they are breaking the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. So to a Jew at that time, uh, according to tradition, they were giving to God. Now, what is better to do, give to God or give to parents? I mean, obviously, we, we want to take care of our parents, but if if you have this what you think is a divine tradition, then obviously giving to God, dedicating everything to God would be would would seem to be more important. Now, so so that's that's in the in the Jew, he's hearing from the scribes and Pharisees, this is the tradition. This is what you're supposed to do. And so people were were dedicating their possessions to God, this this Korban tradition. All right. The so the problem is they're considering this tradition to be just as important as the word of God. The commandment from God was to honor your father and mother, but the, essentially they were they were like, well, I, it's okay to disobey that commandment because I'm I'm following this tradition, this divine tradition and I'm giving to God, korban. All right. Now Jesus combats this thinking and says, "No, you are breaking the commandment of God in order to follow a tradition of men. That korban tradition is not nearly as important as following the commandments of God." And then Jesus quotes Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, "You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me.'" And so the Jewish leaders were keeping all these traditions, these these extra laws they had put in place as a fence or a hedge around Scripture, around the commandments of God. Now, this tradition, it just kept growing. The requirements to be a faithful member of the Jewish community became more and more burdensome year after year. Now, what does Jesus say about all this? He says, you are honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You are teaching your traditions as if they are doctrines from from God. The Jewish leaders and therefore the Jewish people were becoming more and more concerned with keeping all the traditions than they were concerned with honoring God from the heart. They thought, if I just keep all the Pharisees' traditions, then I'll be okay. Just listen to the scribes and Pharisees. They are the experts in the law. I need to listen to them and do all the traditions that they tell me to do. That's where I'll be safe if I just follow the traditions. Now, do you see the problem here? It is our human nature to want a list of things to do instead of loving, honoring, and worshiping God from the heart. We ju- just tell me what to say and to do, God, so I can go to heaven. Now, and, and you know, like like a husband may say, well, to his wife, just tell me what you want, <laughs> right? Just tell me what you want for Christmas, and I'll go buy it. And it is much harder to to pay attention to maybe some subtle little cues and figure out what your wife wants for Christmas instead of just just give me the list, just tell me what you want, and I'll go do it. And so you know, I'm so I'm not saying that every Roman Catholic is just sort of going through these motions. I I, I talk I get to interact with lots of different religions uh, in my office, and so I have I have spoken to several Roman Catholics who I believe were truly trying to worship God. Now, are, do I believe that they're wrong in some of their doctrines? I mean, absolutely. That's why I'm discussing it on this podcast. But there are people whose whose intentions are to worship God, and I think they're being led astray by Roman Catholic leadership. 
Um, but there are also tons of people in the Roman Catholic system who just go through all the hoopla of the Roman Catholic Church. They 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 think uh, I'm good with God because I'm following all the traditions. I, I'm I'm saying all the Hail Marys I'm supposed to say and the Our Fathers. I'm saying the Rosary like I'm supposed to say it. I go to Mass. I do you know I I stand. I kneel. I you know whatever they do at Mass. And, and so they are honoring God with their lips, uh, so to speak. They are going through the motions, but their heart is far from God. These traditions can can get in the way of the true worship of God. Now, to be fair, there are plenty of Protestants who do the same thing. We we all just want this list, just this this checklist from God. Just give me the things to do, God, and I'll just go through that checklist. God, it's deeper than that. God wants our heart. He wants all of us, and all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, how do we do that? How do we truly worship God? Well, it starts with elevating the commandments of God above everything else. And how do we know what the commandments of God are? What does, what does God expect from us? It is found in Scripture. There, there must be a standard. That standard is either Scripture or it is what leadership in, in whatever religion tells you to believe. There, there's there's no other way to, to do it. And so either Scripture is the ultimate standard, or like I've said with the Roman Catholic Church, the church is the ultimate standard in the, the magisterium, the leadership of the church. You can't have two standards because at some point, if they disagree, one has to be the ultimate rule of faith. And so I believe that is Scripture. I, I will bind myself to Scripture over what another man tells me, some tradition was passed down from Peter and th- th- through all the apostles. That and that tradition cannot be found in Scripture. That that's where the decision is made in my mind. I will stick to Scripture, and I believe that's what Jesus is telling the people to do here. Now, a Catholic response to all of this could be that Jesus is condemning the traditions of of men here in Matthew fifteen about this Corban rule. That Jesus is condemning the traditions of man, but not divine traditions. You see, that's the difference, the Roman Catholic would say. These traditions from the Roman Catholic Church, they are not from man. They are directly from God. Jesus passed these traditions to Peter and the apostles, and now we have them in the Roman Catholic Church today. These are God's traditions. Well, the Pharisees considered their traditions to be God's traditions as well. If not, they would have never accepted someone using the Corban tradition as an excuse for not providing for his parents. So the, the Pharisees did not ignore the commandments of God. I mean, most of them had the the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, memorized. You know, so they were super devout. But they started adding in all these extra traditions as a and as they call it, like a fence or a hedge around the law of God. And, and that's where the problem came, because eventually these extra traditions start interfering with the commandments given by God. Now, let's compare. So, so, so the Catholic will say, well, these, the Jewish traditions, those were from men, but the Roman Catholic traditions are from God. Well, let's compare. The, both the Jews and the Roman Catholics believe their traditions are divine and passed down from God through leaders such as Moses for the Jews and Peter or the apostles for the Roman Catholic Church. So it's inaccurate for Rome to claim that Jesus is only condemning human tradition and not divine tradition in this Matthew 15 passage. Yes, uh, Jesus uses the phrase tradition of men to describe like this Corban tradition and, and others passed on by the, the, the Pharisees. But that is because Jesus is putting those traditions in their proper place. The scribes and Pharisees 
believed and taught that these traditions were from God. So when the Roman Catholic Church uh, Roman Catholic Church says Jesus is only condemning traditions of men and not the Roman Catholic tradition, which is from God, I would say Jesus seems to hold everything up to Scripture and make judgments based on what Scripture says. Even supposedly divine traditions are judged, according to Jesus, based on what Scripture says. So from this Matthew 15 passage, it's clear Jesus is condemning the Korban tradition as being man-made. Now, put yourself in the place of the average Jew who's standing listening to this conversation between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. So, so Jesus says, this Korban tradition is man-made. It is not from God. So if you're listening to this conversation, now you start thinking back, okay, how do I, how am I supposed to know which traditions are divine and which traditions are man-made? Clearly, because Jesus condemns this Korban tradition, not all of the traditions of the elders are divine. So now, how can I test which traditions I've been taught? How can I test which are divine and which are from man? They couldn't listen to Jewish leadership. Jesus is condemning them. So how can they test which traditions are from God, which traditions are from men? And Jesus tells them, compare it to the written word of God. I've said it before, but Jesus never appeals to any Jewish traditions as a defense for anything he says or does. In fact, he is constantly violating their traditions, and when confronted, he uses scripture to defend himself and, and condemn their actions. He, he defends the actions of his disciples using Scripture. Now, the next Catholic response would be that Jesus does not use Scripture here. He is simply using the Ten Commandments. And so this, this concept cannot be applied to all of Scripture. Well, how did the people get the Ten Commandments? They were written by God on tablets of stone, and the people were instructed to keep them with the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus twenty four twelve. it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction." So this was common practice in that culture, in ancient cultures, when a covenant was made between two parties, each was was given a copy of that agreement, much like we have a receipt today. Each group has a, a written copy of that transaction, and it's in writing because that is a standard that each can come to and hold each party accountable. So we've we've all had this happen before in life where someone says something, but then it you know they don't follow through with what they said, and you you got nothing. And so you know, like lawyers will tell you, write it down, get it in writing, get it notarized, whatever. It's having something in writing is much stronger than just a, a verbal agreement. Now, throughout the history of the Old Testament, there are times of revival, so to speak, where the Israelites gather, they're, they're sort of realigning and coming back to a true worship of God. And, and what are they gathering for? The oral traditions to be recited to them? No, they are gathering for the reading of the law. In Deuteronomy 31, this, this is Moses completing the Torah and instructing the people to keep it with the Ark of the Covenant and to read it every seven years at a great assembly. Now, later, Joshua 8, 34 and 35 is an account of Joshua gathering all the Israelites to read the entire book of the law, which Moses has recorded. Later in Israel's history, they often, in the Old Testament, they start following other gods from other nations. They're worshiping idols, and many of Israel's kings were wicked. Now, the temple had had been... Uh, 
it, it was in disrepair. And so in the pro- they were trying to repair the, the temple, and in the process, the book of the law was found. And in 2 Kings 23, this records the reform of Israel as King Josiah gathers, to people, uh, gathers the people together to hear the book of the law read to them. Now, eventually, Israel, and then, and then years later, eventually Israel is overtaken by Babylon, again, as punishment for worshiping other gods and, and not obeying the, the true God of the Bible. And so they're taken to Babylon, and they lived in exile for 70 years. Now, upon returning to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the walls of the city, and in Nehemiah 8, we again have an account of the people coming together to hear the reading of the book of the law. The Bible says they were attentive to the reading of the law as Ezra the priest read from it from early morning to midday. That's a long church service. So these monumental moments in the history of Israel are marked by the people gathering and hearing the reading of the book of the law. Moses the prophet presented the people with the law from God. King Josiah and Ezra the priest read the scripture to the people. But in Luke 4, we have the word of God, that's capital word, the word of God reading the word of God. Unlike the men before, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and he goes to his hometown synagogue, as was his custom, and Luke 4, 17 through 21 says this, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So it was common practice in the synagogue for the Old Testament, which is the, the old only Bible they had at that time. The, the Old Testament, a portion was read, and then an, an explanation from a leader was given to the people. And this was the consistent practice in the lives of Jewish people at the time of Jesus. Notice that Jesus stood to read the scripture, then gave it back to the attendant before sitting down and beginning to teach. But where exactly did Jesus sit? It's very likely he sat on a special stone chair at the front of the synagogue, and this was referred to as the seat of Moses, and which and leads us into our next passage. Passage. Now that's Matthew 23, and I'll, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Have you ever heard that phrase, practice what you preach? It comes from Jesus. Anyway, this verse is used by Roman Catholics to try and prove that Jesus affirmed oral tradition. The authority of Moses' seat is not mentioned in the Bible, yet it was a tradition passed down by the Jewish elders, supposedly from Moses himself. So when Jesus says, do and observe whatever they tell you from the seat of Moses, Roman Catholics will say, look, Jesus commands them to obey the person who speaks with divine authority from Moses' seat. And where did this divine authority come from? Tradition. They will say, Jesus is acknowledging the seat of Moses was a tradition from God. Now, the Corban thing in Matthew 15 is not a tradition from, from God, but the seat of Moses is, according to Roman Catholics. So, therefore, when someone is speaking from the seat of Moses, they must be obeyed. 
Now, let's work through this verse, these verses together. Uh, who was Jesus speaking to? Jesus was, at first, he's speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. Then Jesus' words turn, as you continue to read through Matthew 23, Jesus' words turn to the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the religious elite and the experts in the law. And Matthew 23 contains scathing remarks to these, sky, these scribes and Pharisees for their poor spiritual leadership. Seven times in Matthew 23, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Uh, now, one time this phrase, he, he changes it to, woe to you, blind guides. But obviously, scribes and Pharisees is, is who Jesus is referring to. So he, there's these seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees for their poor spiritual leadership. Now, Second, what is Moses' seat? In Exodus 18, we are told that Moses sat and the people would come to him for judgments on various issues. And this is where the authority of Moses' seat sort of comes from. Now, it's according to Jewish tradition, whoever sat on Moses' seat had the divine authority passed down from Moses. Tim Staples, who's a Roman Catholic apologist, and I'll quote from him in just a second, um, he used Exodus 28 as a reference for this tradition possibly as as the um, the area where this tradition developed. Um, in Exodus 20, 28, this is just the consecration of the high priest. And so yet yeah, they too are representatives from God. Anyway, this Jewish tradition developed over time. Uh, and we know this because synagogues were not part of Jewish culture until centuries after Moses. And so it's not like Moses said, hey, by the way, in, in the synagogue, you need to put a seat up there. And, and the person who's sitting there has divine authority. That that couldn't have been from Moses because it was he, he didn't even know what a synagogue was. Anyway, in Jesus' day, the seat of Moses could be interpreted figuratively as a position of authority to judge based on the law of God, uh, but there have also been archaeological discoveries of ancient synagogues, and the seat of Moses was thought to be this specific chair at the front of the synagogue. Either way, whoever sat in the seat of Moses was in a position of authority to teach uh, about the and, and rule over the spiritual well-being of the people in that community. So here's the tricky part, of course, Matthew 23, 2-3, it, and I'll read it again. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and Jesus says, so do and observe whatever they tell you. But not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. I've linked a YouTube video in this in the episode notes where James White, who I've mentioned tons of times before, he analyzes a Catholic Answers video, and Tim Staples is the Roman Catholic there, and and so it's a video. Uh, the Tim Staples video is a is video of a radio caller calling in, sort of debating with Tim Staples. So the radio caller is a Protestant. And then James White is a Protestant as well, and James White sort of analyzes Tim Staples' answer. Anyway, it's it's got a lot of great information, so I've linked that video and, and check that out if you want to. Um, but at one point, Tim Staples says this to the Protestant caller. He says, you know, the, he says this, quote, the Catholic Church takes all of sacred scripture. End quote. Now, he is implying that Protestants don't take all of Scripture, that we just kind of pick and choose what we want. Uh, so Tim Staples is trying to use this verse, and he's saying, look here, Jesus says, if you sit on Moses' seat, and that is, that is tradition tells us that was they had divine authority, and Jesus says, do and observe whatever they tell you from Moses' seat. And so that's, that's the argument that Tim Staples is trying to make. 
Now, I think that he is he is trying to take this individual verse and prove his points without considering the context of the Gospel of Matthew or even the rest of the you know all four gospels. Given the rest of the Gospel of Matthew and not even considering the other gospels, Jesus is Jesus really telling the Jews that they must do and observe all the oral traditions of the Jewish leadership that like somehow magically whatever comes out of their mouth in Moses' seat they must do and observe. I think this is an important question to ask ourselves. What exactly was being taught from Moses' seat? We know from Luke 4, when Jesus stands up, he reads from the scripture. Then it says, Jesus sat down and began to teach, saying, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was explaining the text he just read. Jesus gave a sermon about himself based on the verses he read from Isaiah. So when Jesus says, do and observe whatever they tell you from the seat of Moses, does Jesus mean everything, like no matter what? If the Pharisees sat in the seat of Moses and told the people to declare their possessions as korban and dedicate all their stuff to God, would Jesus have required the people to do and observe this teaching? No, of course not. It was this Corban tradition that Jesus condemned just eight chapters earlier in Matthew's gospel. Also, right after instructing the people to do and observe whatever they tell you from the seat of Moses, Jesus says this, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, if what the Pharisees told the people to do and the works they did were the same thing, this would not make sense. So whatever was being taught from the seat of Moses could not have been things like the Korban tradition, because Jesus would not have condemned the tradition and then eight chapters later told the people to obey the Pharisees no matter what. You know, and, and, and so if a, if a Pharisee from the seat of Moses said, obey the Korban tradition and dedicate all you have, then, then you would be like, well, Jesus, you told me to do and observe whatever they tell me to do from the seat of Moses, so do I do the Corban thing or do I not do the Corban thing? We, we can't read Scripture that way. We, we have to interpret Scripture based on Scripture. It, it's, not, it's from God, and it's not going to contradict itself. And so we also know that Jesus is not supporting all these extra traditions that the Pharisees had added to the scriptures. Jesus calls these traditions heavy burdens, hard to bear, that the Pharisees place on people without giving the people any help. And so what does Jesus say about himself? In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he, Jesus says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.'" So Jesus cannot possibly be affirming this divine authority of oral tradition by telling the people to do and observe everything taught by those in the seat of Moses. Jesus did exclude something. He said, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. Obviously, what was being preached from Moses' seat was not in line with what the Pharisees did. So if the scribes and Pharisees were teaching from Moses' seat, 
to keep all these traditions of the elders, then isn't Jesus contradicting himself by telling the people to do and observe whatever they teach? So what is Jesus excluding when he says, but not the works they do? Uh, essentially, you know, what do, what's my interpretation of this? What do I believe Jesus means? I believe that Moses' seat was a place where the scriptures were explained to the common people. The scriptures were read publicly, and then the leader of the synagogue would sit in the seat of Moses and explain what the people just heard. This is exactly what Jesus did in Luke 4. So when Jesus says, do and observe whatever they tell you from Moses' seat, I believe Jesus is telling the people to obey the scriptures which were being explained to them. If the Pharisees were doing extra works or following tradition which was not found in scripture, then the people were not told to do those things. They, they were not bound to obey the traditions, the these extra things not found in scripture, because that would include things like the Corban rule. So it makes zero sense to interpret Jesus as commanding the Jews to obey everything the Pharisees taught from the seat of Moses if this included all the traditions that Jesus spends so much time condemning throughout the Gospel of Matthew. So what does Jesus condemn the scribes and Pharisees for? He, con he condemns them for placing heavy burdens on the people and forcing traditions on them, which cause them to break the commandments of God in order to follow the traditions of men. This interpretation is consistent with the rest of Matthew as well as the rest of Scripture. Do and observe what is in Scripture, but do not do the works that the Pharisees do. All their other traditions are for show and are not true worship of God. Jesus did not want to reject everything the Pharisees taught. The people needed to be taught from Scripture, and it's not like every family had a Hebrew Bible. In, in that, that culture, you learned from the Bible at the synagogue. So Jesus is telling the people to do and observe what the Pharisees tell you from the seat of Moses, but Jesus is clearly excluding something. He's excluding the works that the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were taking a command in Scripture and then all adding all these extra works which were required according to their oral tradition in order to properly keep that commandment. And, and this is the part Jesus wants reevaluated by the people. And so here's an example. In Exodus 20, 8 through 11, it says this, remember the Sabbath day. This is part of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So basically, don't work on the Sabbath day. At the root of keeping the Sabbath is rest and trust in God. Even though you are not working that day, God will provide for your needs. God also gave the people instructions to have Sabbath years where they did not farm the land on those years. The land had a Sabbath year of rest, but God promised he would still provide for them. So the Pharisees took this commandment to keep the Sabbath, and then they added tons of requirements to it. The Mishnah, which is a written record of what, what were the oral traditions passed down by the rabbis, it included these Sabbath laws. Now, there are tons of laws against any kind of food preparation, harvesting, you know, preparing food in any way. That was forbidden on the Sabbath. They covered their mirrors so they would not accidentally see a hair out of place and pluck it. That would be like harvesting. Um, or or they would maybe they would comb their hair. That would, that would be almost like 
plowing or, or like, you know, reorganizing things. That, that, that was considered a work. So just ridiculous type stuff. Um, you could only walk a certain distance. And this was so common. This was such a common tradition that that, that distance became known as a Sabbath day's journey. Also, you couldn't light a candle. But get this, you could hire a Gentile to light a candle for you. So just really petty stuff. All these traditions had developed over time and that the Pharisees were in, were enforcing on the people. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees accused the disciples of breaking the Sabbath because they were as they were walking through a field, they were plucking heads off the grain and and eating the grain. This was and they considered this harvesting a crop and considered it working on the Sabbath according to the tradition. But the disciples were hungry. Remember, much of the time they were traveling from town to town and staying in other people's homes or perhaps sleeping under the stars. It's not like they had many opportunities to prepare all their food ahead of time. So as they walked, they plucked some grain for a snack. Jesus defends his disciples by explaining to the Pharisees that the point of the Sabbath is for man to rest and rely on God. The Pharisees had made the Sabbath day the most difficult day of the week. In Mark's version of this passage, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, meaning the Sabbath was supposed to be for man's benefit, not a burden for man to keep all these minuscule traditions. So let's apply this teaching to the the concepts in Matthew chapter 23. So Jesus says, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. So if the Pharisees say from Moses' seat, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, don't work on the Sabbath, then the people should do and observe what they have been told. But do not go out and do all this extra stuff that the Pharisees do in order to supposedly keep the Sabbath. All the works the Pharisees are doing, all the tradition that they're doing in order to keep the Sabbath, that is against the teaching of Scripture, and the people are not bound to do that. So obviously, I've spent a lot of time considering the different interpretations of this, and that is what I've settled on. I think that is consistent with all of the Bible, and, and that, that, that doesn't turn Jesus into this contradicting teacher. Now, in closing, just a few things I want to mention. I know I've gotten pretty much, re- well, I, w- I was going to say a little bogged down, but like really bogged down in Roman Catholicism. Uh, but I do believe that these things are important, and I've spent a ton of time in the past considering all this stuff, and I believe it has eternal importance. I believe the Roman Catholic Church is preaching a different gospel than what is found in the Bible. Many people who profess to be Roman Catholic just don't even know about a lot of these dogmas. They've just grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, and they are simply going through the motions. And if we are not careful, if you're a Protestant out there listening, you can get caught just going through the motions as well. The Protestant Reformation was an event in history, but it also comes with a mindset of constant reform, constantly going back to Scripture to see if our beliefs and practices align with Scripture. Have you done this in your own life? You know, why do you believe what you believe? And why do you do the things that you do in worship of God? Hopefully this podcast is helping you ask some questions that you maybe never thought to ask. 
Next week, I am taking a break from Roman Catholicism. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to preach at the church I grew up in, and next week's episode, I will share that sermon with you. I preached on one of my favorite Bible stories. It's one where Jesus is teaching in a crowded house, and four men tear a hole in the roof of the house and lower down a paralyzed man for Jesus to heal. So our closing verse, it comes from that story. It's Mark 2, verses 9 through 11. Jesus says to the scribes and the Pharisees, Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home.